0: Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Manic Monday at Wimbledon 2021 is in the books. It is the final time that we can say that as we have just experienced for the very last time all of the men... And all of the women playing every single round of 16 matchup, as I just move the camera over a little bit, um, in one day. Unfortunately, it is uh, as much a day of, you know, chaos and all this incredible tennis. And I was lucky enough to go there in 2019 and see it for myself. It's also a day of missed matches. It's hard to watch them all at once, right? And uh, I think it's better if all of the product is on at once. Anyway, this is the first... Um this is the first live Monday match analysis history of the show so uh you are watching history I couldn't think of a better day to do it on than uh, after this wonderful manic monday at Wimbledon 2021 thank you everyone uh for joining me here and how it is going to work is uh, I'm going to go through all the results that we saw today and just offer my my thoughts and my takes on on everything that went down and then I will Take your your comments and we can uh, take a look at the draw as well before we move along. I might not I'm not going to predict every match. That's going to be another video and I, I need to take some time to stew. Um, but that's what we're going to do. So uh, if you're not here for spoilers, of course they are coming. And uh, let me just go go through the results real quick and then I'll go in depth on some of them. So the first to finish today, Matteo Berrettini, the number seven seed. Rolls through Ilya Ivashka in just an hour, 47 minutes, 6-4, 6-3, 6-1. The Italian still has not really been challenged uh, since losing a, a set to Guido Pela, which I think was in the first round. So Berrettini through. The second match to finish was Denis Shapovalov, a three-set victory over Roberto Bautista Agut. This was a match that was completed in just over two hours. 6-1, 6-3, 7-5 for Chapeau. a match that I think a lot of people had going both ways. The, the gambling odds were pretty tight, but the match wasn't. Chapeau definitively beating the Spaniard. Next up was uh, a match that started at 11 a.m. British time. Uh, British Standard Time, right? That's what it's called. Uh But it was third to finish because it was a marathon, a bit of a marathon. Five sets. Karen Hachinov ends the breakthrough for the young American Sebastian Korda. 10-8 in the fifth set. A match that I would give the honor as being the match of the day. And I'll get into it. Um, Andrei Rublev is out. The number five seed does not set up the Novak Djokovic match in the quarterfinal after all. He is taken out by Monday Match Analysis's favorite dark horse, Martan fuchevich 6-3, um, 4-6, 4-6, 6-love, 6-3. The Hungarian through to his first uh, major quarterfinal. On court number one, we had Felix Aliasim taking on Alexander Zverev. FAA got out to a two sets to love lead, relinquished the lead. We went five, but the Canadian came through in the fifth. Six, four, FAA in his first major quarterfinal, monumental step in the young Canadian's career. Finally, it it happens. And uh, man, yeah, it's a big deal for him, no doubt. And then you have, of course, on center court, Roger Federer taking out Lorenzo Sonego 7-5, 6-4, 6-2. And Novak Djokovic taking out Christian Garin. Sorry for getting the order wrong. I left out Novak there, but he takes out Garin. 6-2, 6-4, 6-2. Blazed through that one an hour 50. And Federer, it's it's his most straightforward match. I Well, I guess it's pretty much the same as the Gaz K match for, for Roger Federer. So... That is uh, all the action that transpired on this beautiful Monday. Um, I want to start with Hatchinov and Sebi Korda. I just thought it was the best match today. And I, I just think uh, they put on quite the show. So Korda came out. I mean, he played beautiful, flawless tennis out the gates. And I, I just think... In general, in the match, Sebi Korda just has a little bit more than than Karen Hatchinov from a ball-striking perspective. I fancy his forehand. It's a much better forehand than Hatchinov's. And I think they both have these brilliant backhands, but Korda can time it and redirect it down the line. And Hatchinov has to primarily, unless it, he has a wide-open opportunity, primarily takes it cross-court. So I felt that when Korda... Could get a handle on the serve return dynamic. He was the better player. He was doing. Um, he was getting the better of the baseline rallies. You could see it early on in how the second serve points were being played out. But but here's the trend I really want to highlight in this match. It has to do with Sebastian Corda's first serve, and the sets he won are set one and set four. Corda's first serve average speed in one and four, the sets he won, was 115 miles per hour. And in set one, he won 88% of his first serve points. In set four, he made 89% of his first serve points. And again, both sets averaged 115. Now let's go through the others. First, we'll go with uh, with the average speed in set two, down to 112. In set three, 113. And in set five, 111. For most of the set, I was looking at 110, but he got it up to 111 in, uh, evidently in his last couple service games. So lowest of the match in set five. And now you look at how many first serve points he he won in those sets set 2 61% set 3 not bad 79% um and it was just one break point Hatchinov one for one break points one total points one, 27, 22 kind of thin margins um but still lower than the 90% that that he saw in set 1 and set 4 and then in set 5 35% as soon as that number goes down To 111, 110, where he was kind of teetering in that fifth set. It's plummeting. It's just so, isn't that amazing how a couple of miles per hour can make the difference when it comes to Corda's first serve effectiveness? It doesn't sound like much. It really doesn't, right? But just that little bit, a couple miles per hour, 115, down to 112, down to 111 makes all the difference and and the thing that court, that uh, Hatchinov is doing so well in this tournament is he's thumping the serve at 6 foot 5 and the strong legs and the good build that he has and the long levers with his arms he's thumping the serve because for for so long throughout the last 2 years I've been watching Karen Hatchinov and thinking dude why aren't you hitting the first serve? Like, stop massaging that in. And his first serve numbers in this match, really good. And in the Tiafo match, outstanding. And just to compare from a miles per hour standpoint, Hatchinov's averaging 118 on the first and a healthy 101 on the second. And Korda, you have 113 on the first, 96 on the second, a five-mile-per-hour difference. Uh, then you look at spot serving, which also left a lot to be desired in the fifth set, especially for Korda, but honestly by both guys. When it comes to spot serving, Korda serves six aces and hits four service winners. And Wimbledon is stingy on the service winner stat. I don't agree with it. That's not unreturned serves. That's That's unreturnable serves. I don't agree with how they keep those stats, IBM or Wimbledon, whoever decides. But Korda, 19 aces. So that's 19 to 6, Hachinov against Korda. And I was charting every single point at the end of that fifth set when it came down to, uh, to this fifth set between the guys. And this was a record, I believe. 13 breaks of serve. Neither guy could hold. It was just it was silly it was unbelievable it was break 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 all throughout the fifth set 13 times um but it felt like here was the dynamic and i I don't even know if i have a a hard fast point here but let me just tell you to me to my eyes this was the dynamic and a lot of the narrative on twitter where you should follow me at Gil underscore gross. A lot of the narrative seemed to be Hatchinov keeps choking, Korda won't give up. And I didn't understand that at all. Just because Hatchinov was serving second doesn't mean he's the one choking. In reality, I thought most of this match was on Korda's racket, the way he was returning in the fifth set. But then he could get nothing, no advantage on his serve. And Hatchinov was able to basically block back every single first serve. Neutralize every first serve, and then sometimes take the second serve aggressively, and and win a healthy amount of those second serve points. So the serve was nothing for Corda, but I felt felt off the ground. He was loose, he was sloppy on his serve, and then on the return, somehow Corda was tightening up in in a good way. I mean, tightening up the errors, um, just not making the same kinds of mistakes and his and his offensive returning was tremendous his backhand return is so so good and a lot of those service games that Hatchinov lost I don't know how much uh like I thought they were great return games by Korda is the point I'm trying to make but the games that Hatchinov broke I felt like it was a little bit more on Korda's racket and he was being a little bit erratic off the ground. For some reason, I think it got a little bit mental that Corda was playing so much better on his return than, than on his serve on the same shots, trying to execute the same shots, just not doing it as well on serve. It was quite strange. Uh, but re- no doubt that the fact that Hatchinov's serve maintained the level for the most part and Corda's serve did not was a big deal. So at, at 9-8, for example, with Hatchinov serving it out serving it out, he served a great game at 9-8. Love all, serve and volley, Hatchinov, backhand volley into the open court. 15 love. He gets a nice serve, good spot out wide. Korda popped up the return and hatchinov ripped it cross-court for a winner. So that's two points. You're using the serve as a weapon. You're gaining an advantage off of that shot. And then 30 love. Service winner Karen Hachinov and 40 Love. They get into a rally and Corda misses uh, a forehand. So so look at that though. Three points, the serve plays a factor in all three. Corda couldn't get that in the fifth set. He just couldn't. Uh, because he didn't have the legs, he didn't have the physicality. And look, this was Sebi Korda's 21st birthday. Happy birthday to you, Sebi Corda. Happy birthday. I wish it, I wish it went better for his sake. Um this was his 21st birthday, but he is still building up the body. He is just not there yet. He's not a finished product. His legs, they don't quite look like a pro tennis player's legs yet. And and sometimes it's genetic and sometimes it's deceiving. Some players just don't have the definition. But I think for Korda, uh, the evidence has been clear following him in 2021 that he's not there yet. That that bot, you know, just physically, he needs a little bit more. And look, the reality is, here's here's the difference. If Korda's legs are a little bit stronger, and either A, he's able to maintain that 113 to 115 mile per hour first serve speed that he had in the sets that he was successful in, or his serve was just bigger in general, and it was as big as Karen Hatchinoff serve, he wins this match. He wins this match. But Hatchinov he's 25, the Russian. And those extra off seasons count. You know, the 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 number of times that Hatchinov has been able to spend these off seasons in the gym and just condition his body. That counts. And you know, I, I, I think in two years, is the better player, but right now Hatchinov has that physical edge. And you know, Karen's playing great. His forehand is not misfiring as much. His his backhand is still really super good and super sturdy. Uh, it was it was fun to watch them exchange cross court backhands. He's moving forward in opportune ways. He's getting returns in play really well as well. But but he still doesn't have the precision off the forehand. And he can still be rushed on that side. He still misses more on that side, more than like a quarter. But he was able to keep it close enough with his tennis. And then at the end, he had that physical advantage. He did. It made all the difference. I know you could say, well, nobody was 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 holding serve. But that's because quarter dipped. And then Hatchinov at 9-8, he finally played the good service game. Right? He finally did it. And he used the serve. Quarter never had that. Just didn't have it in the tank. Uh, I thought there were a couple times where again just Hatchinov was getting some some run off of his serve quarter with brilliant with some brilliant return games here so anyway what a run for the American fantastic uh it was it was a pleasure to watch and Hatchinov uh good for him um you know it's been a while since he's been in a uh, in a quarter I believe at a major and let me just get this for you real quick um just so I can Get it. Yeah, it was uh, French Open 2019. He made a quarterfinal and now he is back. But again, the, the major results are really consistent and that speaks to his fitness, doesn't it? It does. All right. Thanks for everyone um, who uh, have joined this live chat. Let's go to the next match, shall we? That's a Hatching Off Corda. And then again, if, if you do want to pop something in the live chat, um, if you want to. Pop in a, a super chat. I will stop to answer it. I will, I'll, I'll interrupt myself for that. Uh, but let's go on to the next result. And I think the, the second most notable result of the day has to be FAA taking out Alexander Zverev. So let's go with that. Um, obviously, FAA has had issues in these sorts of matches. Not only is he 0 9. And sorry if it's 0-8, but I believe it's 0-9. Not only is he does he have that really poor record in the uh in the finals, but he's also struggled with uh with top ten opponents. Um try to find this this stat for you. Fifteen, he lost 15 of his first 17 matches against top ten opponents. And now he's on a three-match winning streak against top 10 opponents, and in his first career major quarterfinal. It's good to see, just, you know, look, there there can still be doubts about FAA, but he's reaching milestones, and it has been such a long time since we've been able to say that because for years it's been FAA is stagnating, FAA isn't getting better. What's going on with FAA? And just to, for him to be reaching this the, these kinds of milestones, getting these results, is massive for him. As for the match, Alexander Zverev goes up 4-2 in the opening four sets. In all of the first four sets, Zverev was up 4-2. And let's be real about what happened here. The serve hijacked Alexander Zverev. I would be... You know, lying if I told you I was really impressed with FAA's performance. I kind of wasn't. Um I think the the forehand just needs to be better than it was in this match. He made um 30 no, 27, 30, 31 forehand unforced errors in this match, just on the forehand and 16 winners on that side. It's got to be better than that. Uh, he was too generous with his errors on the forehand. He missed a lot of backhands down the line. I felt he he didn't have that shot either. Um, he double faulted. I guess not too much. I guess it's fine. Um, six times. Some of them felt untimely. Uh, he only won 56% or excuse me he only made 56% of his first serves um but Zverev played really badly too uh i don't think it was a good match folks and here's the one thing i just before i get into the negative stuff i just want to say one really good thing about FAA i want to give him some props um the props is that he hit some of the most important and best shots of his career at 5-4 in the fifth set. It's one thing. I want to highlight that because Zverev got his returns in the court. Zverev put the ball in the court. And that's what that's what Alexander is going to do in that spot. And he is going to force you to create. He is going to force you to earn it. And what does FAA do? At Love All, he hits an inside-out forehand winner. At... Either 30 15 uh, I, I forget, I think he hits one really good serve as well, I think, to get to either 30-15 or 30-love. Then, I think 30-15, he hits a first ball backhand drop shot. I can't believe that he went for that shot and made it. By the way, the drop shot can be key for Felix, and I, I hope he continues to develop that shot to just offset his... His power, his vertical power, because he doesn't like to—he's not great with the angles. So if he can take away depth as a counter to his power, that's going to be really great for him. So beautiful backhand drop shot. And then on match point, on the first match point, 40-15, got tight and shanked a forehand. But then on 40-30, he he, he tamed those demons. He tamed those nerves. And he hit a really good forehand and finished an overhead. Those shots were so important. And I'm not someone... Look, I I tell you, I mildly root for who I pick generally. And I picked Zverev. But in that moment, my blood pressure was real high for Felix. Because he has had so many heartbreakers. And so many difficult moments. And... He came through and hit some of the most clutch shots of his career, the most clutch shots in his career at 5-4 in the fifth set. So uh, credit for Felix here. We do have a super chat from Zachary. Thank you very much for that. Anything in FAA and Chapo, in Chapo's hitting techniques that caused them to break down in five setters? They, team, they seem to swing so hard while Fed and Novak are smoother. I think for I think it's actually different for Chapo and FAA, but I always have found it interesting that it seems like the Canadians tend to have the same issues in their game, which is that they're over anxious. they don't have the shot tolerance. They make too many unforced errors. It is kind of funny how that is that, that both of them, you know, it, it would seem to be a coincidence, although they do both train, you know, in the States, in Florida, um, uh, IMG, they train at IMG. So maybe it's not a coincidence. I don't know, but it probably is. Uh, but in terms of in their hitting techniques, I think for Chapo, no. I think for Chapo, his technique is really pretty solid. And it, it's all about, on the forehand, I think it's all about shot selection And just patience and choosing the right targets. And for FAA, that's a big part of it too. And I'll I'll tell you about one part in this match where it is two love in the fifth set. And break point for, for Felix. And he gets a forehand, middle of the court, approach shot opportunity. And smokes a forehand, which would have been a clean winner. Hits it center of the strings, right in the corner, but an inch wide. Easy forehand. And that forehand for Felix feels like it's a 50-50 forehand, where it should be a 90% forehand. You should make that 90% of the time. And if you just look at that, again, center of the strings, good timing, everything is, is lined up. But he's trying to smoke a winner right in the corner where if you are a a confident player who just has a a good court feel and you're confident in your volleys, you don't try to smoke a clean winner on that. That is an approach shot. You might hit a winner. You might, but you're certainly not going to miss it because you're going to hit. You're going to take time away. You're going to step into the court. You're going to aim about a foot inside the sideline, and you're not going to hit it at 100% power because it's an approach shot. I, I swear, Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Nadal, they don't hit their approach shots at 100% power unless maybe it's like shoulder height and they can really, they really feel like they can hit a clean winner. But on a regular approach shot, they're not hitting that 100% power because all they need to do is hit a solid approach shot and it's going to be a difficult pass. So why are you going for a clean winner on that shot and taking on risk that you don't have to? But I will say both of them have footwork issues. And I think Chapo's footwork is a little bit better than Felix's. But Felix, it's not really as precise as it needs to be. And again, this is a North American problem, I think. The Europeans tend to move their feet better. I think it's because they grow up playing soccer. I honestly believe that. Nadal was a great Soccer slash football player. Murray was a great soccer player. Federer was a great soccer player. Novak was a skier. I don't know how much soccer he played, if I'm not—I uh, could be mistaken. Um, but in general, it's like FAA and, and Chapo, I think it's shot selection and footwork more than anything else. With that being said, FAA's forehand is a little bit wristy, and maybe that's something as well. Maybe. Also, it's mental and, and nerves for, for FAA. So that, that's how I would uh, answer that question. Um, but a couple, the things that that Felix did well in that fifth set, he made some of the clutchest shots of his life at 5-4 serving for it. And he, uh, he did return really well. He did. That comes with the caveat. The caveat is that um, uh, Zverev was serving down the tee every single time. So, I mean, Felix was on to that, and I I think it was because Zverev feels more comfortable on that serve, lower part of the net, and Zverev will will get into a mode where he feels like, and this is not necessarily wrong, it's not ideal, but it's not wrong, but Zverev feels like, well, I serve so big that as long as I make it, it's fine, so let me hit my safer serve, which is, especially on the ad side, definitely the T-serve, but he's going there every single time. And, uh, you know, FAA did really well. He was on that. And especially FAA's second serve returning, he stepped in after the rain delay. He stepped in and took it early and really well. So props to FAA's returning, but also, you know, Alexander, mix up your serves maybe. And that'll that'll help if, if you're able to do that. Uh, which segues me, me pretty nicely to um, the next thing I want to talk about, which is... Um, which is Sasha's serve. 20 double faults for Alexander Zverev in his upset against Felix Oje Aliassime. 20 double faults. A career high for him. And a lot of people were saying, oh, the double faulting is behind Alexander Zverev. He's past that. No more of that. No. And, and I, I never felt that was the case. I got on Zverev after the Madrid final when he double-faulted eight times against Matteo Berrettini. Still won the match, but not, not only double-faulted eight times, double-faulted in crucial, crucial spots, including the second-set tie-break against Berrettini in the Madrid final. And the way he double-faults is the tell that he hasn't fixed it yet. The difficult thing about it is sometimes it feels like... It feels like impossible to predict. Is Zverev going to come on the court and serve three double faults all match long and it's a complete non-issue? Or is he going to absolutely break down in the biggest way that you could imagine a player breaking down? It feels very difficult to predict sometimes which way it's going to go. But in this case... The the trouble starts very early on. In the first set, Zverev hit eight, and he never reeled it in, really. And it, it again, they come in the worst possible times, because Zverev wins the third set. He wins the fourth set. He's playing a lot better. Again, I think Zverev, at his best, was the better player in this match. He just couldn't really summon his tennis and didn't have his serve at all throughout the duration of the fifth set. Um, but he had all the momentum start of the fifth set, having just one, two sets in a row and Felix looking negative, looking very, very stressed out. Like he was feeling the moment. We could be having a very different conversation right now than the one we're having. But Zverev hits three double faults in the opening game of the fifth set. Three momentum gone, momentum gone. You can't do that. And, um, as I talked about after the Madrid final, it is becoming very, very difficult to excuse Alexander Zverev for the things we are seeing. Very difficult. Because how many off seasons is it going to be? How much time is going to elapse? And Alexander Zverev serve looks exactly the same. And I know what the counter argument to that is. I know it's Gil, it's mental. It's not about the technique. I don't care if it's mental. Why does that matter? Change something. Maybe that'll help the mental. Change the technique, and maybe he'll feel more confident about it mentally. The fact that his serve has looked the same throughout the duration of his career on tour is absolute insanity to me. I just can't give him a pass for that. I can't. Nadal's serve has changed. Djokovic's serve has changed. Federer's serve has even changed. Um, Tsitsipas's serve has improved. The toss is better. He doesn't fall out to his left as much. This is normal for a player. Your serve should change. It's, and if it's a problem and it still looks the same throughout your whole career, that is insane to me. Um... It just is. Now, the, the toss got a little bit higher. That's a negative change. So, I mean, it's going to be a problem. And look, I, I know it's crazy because Zverev was a couple of points away from being U.S. Open champion. U.S. Open champion. But it feels so far away right now, does it not, guys? It feels so far away because you never know when he is going to be completely unable to To hit a second serve. And even when they were landing, by the way, in the fifth set, they were very bad second serves. Or they were 130 mile per hour bombs, which just, you know, that's got problems in itself. So it's crazy to me. It is. Espresso and water. You need both. Very important. Um, I think I'm ready to move on from uh, Zverev against FAA. Um let's go to what shall we do here? Let's go to let's go to Rublev. Andre Rublev taken out in 5 sets by Marton Fucevic. 6-3 6 love 6-3. Six, well, uh this has been this was such an interesting head to head coming in, very well documented because, you know, Fuchevich um obviously won three times, or excuse me, Rublev won three times just in the month month of March alone. Um, and it was a four-match winning streak for Rublev dating back to Roland Garros 2019. It was also a nine-set losing streak for, for Fuchevich against Rublev. So not only was Rublev winning, but the way he was winning and, and coming off of a Miami match that was 6-2, 6-1. So as soon as Fucevic won the first set, first of all, I think that stuff all goes out the window. And I think sometimes it can almost feel for a player like like things have gone more terribly wrong than than it should feel. I actually think it's a mental edge to Fucevic for winning that first set Given the the head to head, the past head to head, and the reason for that is I think if if you come onto to the court and you expect this is gonna be a real battle out here today. I know how good this guy is. He's beaten me in the past. Let's say you come on to that court with that mindset. When you lose the first set, uh, I think you are uh less likely. To panic in that case. Now Rublev to his credit wins the next two sets. 6 4, 6 4, and then they go into the fourth. So perhaps Rublev just had that that had no bearing on Andre Rublev. And and he was able to rebound clearly nicely by winning the next two sets. And then from there it comes off the rails. And the the credit I think tactically what made this such a difficult match for Rublev was Fuchovic's backhand slice cross court. And I think to understand that, I want to just backtrack to the thing that has made this matchup so hard for, for Fucevic and so favorable for Rublev, which is that Andre has been able to put Fucevic in backhand jail. Fuchevich doesn't have the best down-the-line backhand, and the backhand is just not so precise, attackable shot. And what Rublev will do is he will pound that backhand side with his backhand cross court, and that will set up the runaround game. Rublev's best shots, his inside-out forehand, his inside-in forehand. And fuchevich just isn't quite good enough on his backhand down the line to break out of that pattern. But what he can do on the grass is slice cross court. And it is a tactic that has worked well against Andre Rublev. Dan Evans has won two straight against Andre Rublev. Matteo Berrettini has had a lot of success against Andre Rublev. The slice cross court is in the scouting report for Andre, and the reason is that his slice is not good. Um, so, what does that do when Fucevic slices cross court? It takes away Rublev's ability to hit strong, penetrating topspin backhands cross-court to set up his runaround game. And instead, Rublev's moving inside the court and hitting low, uncomfortable backhands that fuchevich can now, um, is able to handle and not let Rublev set up that runaround game. The counter for Rublev would be the easiest play to make on that for Rublev would be to slice back, slice cross court, do it back to him. That's why players get into those slice wars. You'll see players get into, right? And then the crowd will start murmuring and laughing. The reason is it's just a lot easier. An old coach used to tell me slice deserves slice. It's not a hard, fast rule. It's not a steadfast rule, but slice deserves slice. And, That's the easiest thing for Rublev to do, but he just doesn't have that backhand slice. He's got to work on that. He's got to develop that if he wants to handle opponents better who use that against him. Now, you could say, well, um, why wouldn't he just run around them and hit forehands? Much more difficult to do on the grass. That would be a, a much more difficult game plan to execute for Fucevic on clay because instead of the ball instead of the backhand slice skidding through with a good amount of speed instead that ball will stop up on the clay giving Rublev ample time to step around it and fire off forehands which which he has good footwork he's very good at doing that but on grass it's hard to find your forehand on that shot you got to take it as a backhand so that's how Fucevic was able to avoid the tactic of death against him, which is that that backhand jail. Um, but the second thing is a concerning trend for for Andre Rublev. He is now three and four in five set matches. It's not a great record. It's not horrific. But just in general, if you look at the macro for Andre Rublev, he's still looking for that slam breakthrough. There's just no doubt about it. And I'm starting to think that there is a stamina problem for Andre Rublev. Um, it just seems like he had not much left in the legs here. Fuchevich, the the beast that he is physically, had plenty. And it just felt like in terms of who was willing to do the running and the defending and digging in, I mean, it was all Fucevic and Rublev. He looked tired out there in the fifth set. And that is, that's a shame. You know, you got to be able to play those five setters. There's no doubt about it. Fuchevich is a tough matchup. Don't get me wrong. And so is Jan-Lenard truth But to me, this is a disappointing summer for Andre Rublev. The clay swing wasn't horrible. It wasn't bad. He makes the Monte Carlo semifinal. I don't think it'll ever be his best surface. He, tough draw in jan Lennard Struf. And then and again, but I think to not set up the Djokovic match here, that hurts because remember, I think it's important development for someone like Andrei Rublev to get the experience of playing Novak Djokovic in that quarterfinal. And every time you fail to get there, you take away that experience from yourself and you're actually stunting your development. And I just think the way that Andre Rublev has rolled through the ATP 500s and has been so, so good against players ranked below him, especially in 2020, so good. It's disappointing to see that trend stop. It's disappointing for Rublev to see Rublev go the other way. And... Instead, kind of, not you know, have those disappointing losses in majors where before he wasn't doing that. He he set up the the quarterfinal against Medvedev at the U.S. Open. He then set up the quarterfinal against Medvedev earlier this year um, at the Australian Open. Uh, before then, he did well to set up the quarterfinal against Tsitsipas at Roland Garros. Or no, that that was after you know the. Roland Garros was after the US Open last year. So, so that's all good and losing to Tsitsipas on clay, losing to Medvedev on hard court, That's fine. No shame in that. So, but it just, you know, the question was, when is Rublev going to take the next step? When is he going to win one of those matches? And now it's two majors in a row, he didn't even get to that match. He was stopped before getting to that match. That's disappointment for him. I think that's that's disappointing. And of course for Fucevic, excellent, well done. He's playing great tennis here at the All-England Club. He hasn't ha- exactly had the easiest draw, uh, but he's just been fantastic, the the Hungarian. So uh, Novak Djokovic next for Fuchevich, and that is a head-to-head where uh, Marton has taken a-, a set both times and has been really, really good, and has just gassed out as Djokovic has kind of moved him around the court until he really can't do any more running. Is kind of how that has played out. Um, so that's it for Rublev. Fuchevich little upset there. Big upset, honestly. All right. So, I will warn you guys. The matches I just covered... Are the matches that, um, for the most part, I had the most to say about because, again, it was hard to watch everything at once. Um, let's go to, let's go to Roger Federer who, uh, plays Lorenzo Sonego, and, um, wins in three sets 7 5, 6 4, 6 2. First set was scratchy by both. There were, uh, there's a lot of errors. <laughs> a lot of errors in the first set, huh? Um, Federer makes, a uh, It gets to 5-all, and there's this kind of this marathon game, and it's kind of the moment of truth here for Lorenzo Sinego, just trying to hold his nerve. Federer making some great plays here, and he makes a great stretch return at 40-all, 5-all in the first set. Unbelievable. I mean, this is what I was watching for. This was an 128-mile-per-hour serve up the tee for Sonego. Sonego by far the biggest server that Federer will um, will have faced thus far if you think about Cam Norrie and Richard Gasquet and um, uh, first round escaping Manarino um, by far the biggest server Sonego and these are the returns that Federer is going to be asked to make he makes it 40 um, 40 all 5 all first set And gets to the net, wins that point. And then, oh my God, the rain starts falling and they have to pause. And Sinego double faults on that add-out point coming back from the break. I mean, you get the warm-up at the end of the day. I mean, look, I don't think he would have double faulted without the pause. But, you know, it's not. It's just, it's tough. It's tough. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you, right? But, um... Something tells me Roger Federer might not have double faulted in that situation. That's just how it goes. So uh, crazy, crazy and, and wild first set. But after that, Federer upped his game. Federer started playing better because so did Senego probably. And I thought that Federer had a side to pick on against Senego He really did. And especially he he was able to... Not only attack the backhand of Lorenzo Sinego on serve, but come to the net. I saw a lot of serve volleys to Senego's backhand. I saw a lot of approach shots to Senego's backhand because Lorenzo can't defend that shot. And Federer's forehand was excellent. He hit it well inside out. He hit it well down the line. That was going to be the key here. Again, Senego just can't doesn't defend that side very well. Um Roger got to the net a lot in this match. If I pull up the stats. Um, excellent, um, 29 for 46 Federer at the net 46 is, is high. And I expect it to, uh, the fact that that's rising, I think speaks to a general level of, of Federer's confidence because he's getting inside the court. He's hitting aggressive, you know, bad intentioned ground strokes and, and moving forward. 63% can be higher, but look at Senego at the net at 43%. Uh, so, there's a contrast. I was very encouraged also by just how many uh, balls in the court, first serves in the court, returns in the court, Federer was able to get after the first set. Because in the first set, it felt like Senego's serve was, uh, was working pretty well. Um, but in, in the next two sets, uh, Federer did a good job getting his block returns in play. And in the match... Senego won 66% of his first serve points, which uh, that's good enough for Roger Federer, in my opinion, against on grass a dominant serve plus one player in Lorenzo Senego. I think that's a healthy number. Federer um, returned the second serve quite aggressively. That's the formula. That's the formula to breaking serve, I'd say. Um, and he broke Senego's serve five times in this match. I think that Senego could have been a little bit more consistent, a little bit more automatic behind his serve. He he missed too much. Um but that's what the block return does. It gives you kind of a a low semi difficult first forehand or, or first for, f- shot how, wh- wh- whatever it may be and it plays the the app av- excuse me the averages and says, "Look, I'm going to try to dig back into this point, and I'm going to try to kind of coax that error from you. And then on second serve, Federer can take a a different mindset and can play aggressively, which I think he did. I think he hit over the return, or he he sliced very effectively cross-court. He did good things on the second serve return. So look, this is the best Federer's been, and he keeps getting better and better and better. Any thoughts on on Roger Fetter? Of course. By the way, I want to emphasize: if you're gonna put anything in the super chat, it does not need to be uh, a question. It, it can be a comment, and I will read it and respond to it. So don't feel like it needs to be a question. Um, since we've done Federer, um we'll, we'll move on to Djokovic. Six two six four six two for Novak Djokovic. It goes back to a dominant first serve performance for Novak, which after the first round against Draper, which I think we saw a lot of really dominant first serving by Djokovic um, and a ton of aces in that match. It had been a bit, I think it it didn't look quite as good, uh, especially against Dennis Kudla. But this was a... This was a really, really solid serving performance by Djokovic. Uh, 115 mile per hour average on the first, 95 mile per hour average on the second. Uh, Djokovic hits nine aces, but really he's so good behind his first serve. 92 percent points won, 36 for 39 behind his first serve. Quite the contrast to Christian Garin, who who just he can't get anything off of his first serve. Um, I, I just look, I don't think much of Garin's level on this kind of surface. I don't think he really has it in him. He he did do some good things in the second set. He's a great athlete, and he he does have a big forehand and a flat backhand. That's good for grass, but ultimately, he uh, he doesn't have enough there. Novak played a, a good return game at 4-all in the second set when Garin was playing his best tennis, got the break when it counted, and, um, you, you know, you can't expect much better from, uh, from Novak Djokovic. I mean, again, I, I do think there was some more compelling tennis going on at the time. And I'm going to go back and watch a little bit more of Novak. But it looked like one-way traffic. It was—I uh, did. I do think that Djokovic served incredibly well in this match. And Garin doesn't have that, that serve effectiveness. So it, it's such an uphill battle at any point when you are looking at Novak, the the greatest baseliner, the best grass baseline baseliner in the world, I think there's very little doubt about that. And if you are going to get outserved by that margin, I mean what what the heck are you gonna do if if that's what's happening in a match against Novak Djokovic? If you're being outserved that badly. So Uh, You know, again, Garin gets through because he's in a soft section of the draw there. And now that—let me take this time to to say this. At this point, because I just talked about Federer and I I just talked about Djokovic, there is obviously the warring fan bases— that love to talk about easy draws and good fortune and -and so-and-so got lucky. And of course, it's all garbage. Of course, over the course of a career, it all evens out. But let's just talk about Wimbledon 2021. Federer and Djokovic have had the perfect draws. Both of them. Both of them. Now, Federer probably needed needed it a little bit more than Djokovic because Roger is still playing himself into form. Novak could have had a tough draw, And I'm pretty confident he'd still be in the quarterfinals. But come on, like, let's call it like we see it. Novak's draw, Novak was in one of the softest sections in the entire draw. There's no doubt about it. Federer, he got great matchups, got great matchups. And then, you know, you take into account Manorino, the tough first round, obviously freak, freak incident happens and Federer doesn't even need to really solve that puzzle ultimately. Again, I think Roger fancied himself in that fifth set. He looked like he was going to win the fourth. I fancy Roger in that fifth set as well. But he, you know, he, he didn't need to do it. Um And then after that, he just gets it was a good draw. It was. Gareen in the first set looked like Nori in the first set. Center court, Wimbledon, a little bit of deer in headlights. Not really ready. Not really playing good tennis. So that's the reality of it. You want to talk about Novak versus Roger? The answer is both. They both got the perfect draws. They both got the ideal draws. It's just how it is. It's just how it is. So are we complaining about it? I don't think so. I'm not. Hell no. Um, I'm not complaining about it. (laughs) Because um, look, we'll we'll see what happens. But obviously, I uh, want Djokovic and and Federer. I wouldn't. I actually I wouldn't mind if Djokovic had some tougher tests just for entertainment value. So I, I will admit that. Um, all right, Shapovalov and Roberto Bautista Agut. Oh man, uh, Shapo's on a roll now, right? I mean, six sets in a row. That can't go much better than they went for for Dennis the Menace. Um, who's looking very good by the way. I saw I saw a uh, comparison of the uh, the haircut of Wimbledon 2019 versus 2021 and he's definitely got the right look right now. But look, here's what happens in this matchup. There is a massive firepower discrepancy here. Everyone can admit that. And it is all over the court. It is on serve. It is on both cross court rallies, chapeau's backhand, is bigger than RBA's forehand in most cases. And obviously, Chapo's forehand is bigger than RBA's backhand. But a lot of people thought that Roberto's consistency would be too much for Dennis and that he would be able to extract errors with his steadiness, with his constant depth of groundstroke. And I don't really blame anyone who thought that. Uh, But what happened was, RBA goes, I'm not going to give you anything. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to give you the errors. And Shapo goes, okay, that's okay. I'll create my own. I'll win the points on my own terms. Shapovalov won 107 points. He hit 52 winners. He won half his points on winners. Half. That is rare, ladies and gentlemen. That is something else. Um, They were flowing. And Chapo's in a zone here where, in my opinion, to beat Shapovalov in the form he is in right now, you got to make him uncomfortable. You know, I don't think you can sit back and hope that Chapo's going to misfire. Again, he... he has um, reached a point where his shot selection is a lot better. He's hitting um, into the central parts of the court, cross-court, middle, and I think the grass has helped him understand that and do that. I think he he feels the speed of the grass or the low bounce of the grass. And I know it's not the fastest in the world. I get that. I get that. But it's still fast enough where I think Chapeau just understands that— um, he does not need to go down the line unless he feels absolutely comfortable doing it, where on clay, he probably feels like he needs to do it more often. And Chapo's looking looking very, very good right now. With that being said, I also thought that the directionals played a huge factor here. Just watching the match, you have... Let me explain something about RBAs forehand. The fact that it's so flat, makes it much more effective down the line and inside out that's where it's effective because cross court it doesn't have that first of all it doesn't have as much power so the further the ball di- uh, the further distance the ball has to travel the more mph matters the more speed matters RBA doesn't really have that speed, so that's why it's more deadly down the line. But also, he doesn't get those topspin revolutions, which mean he doesn't hit that cross-court angle. So he's better down the line. He's going into Chapo's forehand. That's not the side that is going to really break down on the run. The side that's going to break down if, if rushed, if pressured, is the backhand. If you put Chapo, if you make him play defense on his backhand... You're gonna get some misses. Oh yeah, you are. Um, if you you can rush him with pace, you can pull him outside the court with width. You can keep it low like Cole Schreiber did on with the height to the backhand. That's the side you gotta attack. That's just not what RBA does. RBA attacks on the ad side of the court, not so much the deuce side. Um, and he does the same thing with his cross court backhand. So. Uh, that's, that's what I think. I mean, Chapo is also serving really aggressively. Um, it'll be really interesting to, uh, to see what happens in, in the next round. I mean, Shapovalov against Hachinov for a major semifinal spot. Unbelievable. Berrettini-Avashka is the last match that I didn't talk about, right? That was 6-4, 6-3, 6-1. I didn't watch that match. I got to tell you, uh, I, I don't know if you were watching that match, instead of Hachinov and Korda, you're either from Italy or Belarus. I got to tell you, that, that's that got to be it, right? No, I mean, Baratini has fans, so I get it. Um, he's got fans all over the world, no doubt. Um, I'm looking at the stats here, if anything jumps out at me. 37 winners, 25 unforced errors for Berrettini. Another clean performance. Uh, Avashka was 16-16. and 16 uh Berrettini first serve hottest serve in the game right now does he have the hottest first serve in the game how about 84% points won on the first serve only served uh 53% in the court though hmm, interesting and only hit seven aces Avashka out-aced Berrettini and still lost 4-3 and 1 anyway so that's all I'll say about the match I'm not going to go on and on and read the stats cuz you guys can do that by yourself uh but yeah I didn't I didn't really check out that match um but anyway, we have very interesting quarterfinal matches. Let's just run through them real quick. Again, I'm not going to go in-depth here. That'll be a separate video um, tomorrow. So quarterfinals are set. Um, Djokovic will take on Fuchevich. hatchinov will take on Denis Shapovalov. I'm interested to see Shapo's return in that. Because hatchinov really is serving, serving well. He's serving a lot bigger and a lot better. But Chapo's much, much better attacking off the ground. Much more proficient creating that offense off the bounce. No doubt about it. Then you have Berrettini and FAA. If I'm being honest, you know, Berrettini's rolled. Nobody's challenged him. I don't think FAA's first serve return looked fantastic until the fifth set against Varev, But then it looked good. But overall... FAA's got to step it up. That's all I'll say right now. He's got to step it up. I wasn't too impressed with his performance against Emer. I wasn't too impressed with his performance against Nick. And I wasn't too impressed with his performance against Zverev. I hate to say it, but I just wasn't. Um, and then Roger Federer will take on, oh, Medvedev and um, Medvedev and, and Herkacz, which what has not completed. And I guess I'll talk about that for a moment, but I, I actually don't want to uh, spend too much time on it. Um, Herkoch is is net rushing. Herkoch is net rushing. That's the adjustment um, that that he's made. He's trying to take advantage of Medvedev's deep return position by just charging, charging, charging. And it's a good tactic against Medvedev. I think it's uh, it's the thing to be doing. But Hircot just doesn't have um, doesn't have the the consistent, sustained aggression on the forehand or the backhand to. Uh, to make plays against Medvedev's defense and his counter-striking unless he's going to the net, and then often he's having to hit difficult volleys. So that's what's happening right now, in my opinion. I think Medvedev has gotten better and and more comfortable, though, and uh, I believe he's up a break in the fourth set. I will verify that right now. Um, I guess I got to go to the live scores, right? Live scores. I think he's up a break. No, because... Where can I find the score to this thing? It's not live. It's not a result. I mean, what does a man have to do? Anyway, okay. I'm sorry, but we're not going to get that. So I think he's up a break in the fourth set. Maybe someone in the chat can help me out. You guys are always very smart. Um. Yes. Oh, wait. No, I don't see anyone. Anyway, um, I am not going to give my predictions here. Again, that is a separate video. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the uh, the super chat. Rest in peace, my pick, Steve Johnson. Good on grass. Slicing a big forehand. That's what you need, right? Oh, he's not. They are on serve. Okay, they are on serve. Got it. Thank you, guys. Um, anyway, I'm going to give about 20 seconds for any super chats to come in. If they don't, I will sign off. I'll just tell you. This has been a lot of fun. I mean, um, as you guys can, can tell... Um, you know, I'm uh, definitely experimenting with different ways to, to do content on the channel. And one of that is is going live here, which uh, I've enjoyed it so far. And uh, I got to continue to find ways to con- to, to do it. And, uh, you know, still still figuring out the magic potion. Um, so I hope you guys are liking this live stuff. What I'm going to do is I'm going to cut up the individual spots where i talked about these matches and i'm probably going to post them separately um because i want that seo if i just say manic monday results people who want to know about you know a specific match this video will never come up so that's my uh that's my my thing what was the super chat some people are telling me that i missed a super chat uh what what was it can you guys tell me because that just means i i uh i never checked the page I'm just going to wait for you guys to, to try to tell me what the super chat is. And then I'll answer the question. I appreciate that, guys. Okay. Uh, the ch- the The question was, thank you, Zachary, for uh, letting me know. Uh, Hi, Gil, loving the content. How would you assess Federer's chances if he can reach a final? potentially against Djokovic, well, look, man, I mean, that, that is tough to say. I would say this overall, the biggest difference that I would, that I would project between 2019 Djokovic-Feder and 2021 Djokovic, if Federer reaches the 2019 level, that's what we're assuming, right? We're taking. We're, we're assuming that Federer gets back to the level that he played in 2019. I think in, in order, because if he makes the final, I think that's what it's pretty much going to take. So let's assume that. The biggest difference between Djokovic from, from this point and now is the serve. And ultimately, it feels like Novak had to str- scrap and claw in that 2019 final. And oftentimes, he was the player who was under more pressure than, than Federer. He was able to withstand that pressure, grit, focus, determination, and he got through it. But you wonder if the improved Novak Djokovic serve would actually relieve a lot of that pressure and would would give him the slight edge in that match. Um, so in my opinion, Novak's a better version of himself who would probably be able to beat Federer, you know, would, would have an easier time beating Federer because the last time, let's let's face it, 50-50 match, Novak was outplayed for most of it. I think the serve could really change that. However, I think you got to throw an X factor in here because Djokovic handled the pressure a lot, you know, a little bit better than Federer in 2019, even though I think Federer handled it well and i take issue with the idea that Fetter chokes that or fedder choked you know i i don't i don't really think he did i think to hit a, an approach shot that's a little bit too safe i mean my god i mean are we going to choke is too strong a word for that folks it just is it just is and then he he did well to force the 12 all tie break and, and he hung in there so um i really think that that it would be interesting to see that final played with seemingly a ton more pressure on Novak than Federer compared to the last time, and seeing how Novak would would handle that. Because thus far in the second part of his career, ever since coming back from the the elbow issues and obviously the time off, and I guess ever since the chechenato loss at Roland Garros, and so then when he won that Wimbledon, I have not seen Novak really. be affected by the pressure. I haven't seen it. So look, Novak is a human being. At some point before he retires, we are going to see that. And it's unbelievable. And he has won some of a lot of, he's won majors, in my opinion, in this stretch based on the fact that he has not felt those nerves with all of the pressure on him. You know, that is why he wins that five setter against a Dominic team. In the Australian Open final. One of the reasons. It's because he hasn't felt that pressure. So I would wonder. Trying to tie number 20 at Wimbledon with the Golden Slam in in play. And people had no expectations really for, for Federer here. You would wonder if that dynamic changes a little bit. That's kind of the answer to my question. But the serve for Novak could be an X factor. Another super chat from Avi. Hi Gil, great content as always. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do apart from tennis analysis. What your future career plans are, etc. Thanks. Thank you for the question. I'm happy to do it in this setting. I know, of course, um, a lot of the people who who will tune in live here will be um, some of my my most loyal viewers. So I'm very happy to talk about that. Um, so I actually have you know exciting stuff coming up very soon um and i'm happy to break the news live right now um next week i will be on tennis channel doing some single hosting so that's not match commentary it's a little bit different but um you know i plan to be in tennis media i want to be in tennis media um i hope to be to be calling matches i hope to be creating content in tennis uh you know continue creative content maybe uh journalistic content and, and all of that you know continuing with analysis um, all of those things so I hope to be in tennis media that is the plan um you know at some point it might take away from what I'm able to do on YouTube in fact you know I don't know exactly what Sunday is going to look like for the gentleman's singles final I think I'll be on a plane for most of it and it's it's gonna be uh it's gonna be interesting you know obviously I'm I'm not gonna make I'm not going to make no content, but it probably won't be the same. So um, that, again, that it's just a start right now for me. And I'm just kind of venturing into that. And um, that is that. So, you know, that's the answer, really. Um, I, I've recently graduated. I've recently graduated school. I I majored in broadcast and digital journalism. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm passionate about other sports as well. I am passionate about play-by-play on both radio and, and TV. I um, you know passionate about reporting as well, and um, I, I love television and all of that. So, uh, but but right now I'm in tennis, and I'm I'm all in on tennis, and that is the sport that I can analyze. The other sports I, I can't I can't analyze at the level that that I analyze tennis. Um, really appreciate the uh, the super chat from Futi. I hope I I don't I hope I uh, didn't butcher your name too badly over there um, another super chat from Zachary is what will it take for Medvedev to beat fed um I won't I won't leave you guys though for, for anyone I'm not gonna leave YouTube I will always be checking in all the time I don't know right now I'm full-time YouTube if you haven't noticed it's what I'm waking up every day and and focusing on uh, so it's been a lot of fun to do that it just it won't It won't always be like that. And by the way, quick note, a lot of people are asking, you know, why wouldn't you do watch-alongs? It's because I, um, I wouldn't, I'll never do watch-alongs for, uh, for certain reasons. I don't want to get into exactly why, but it's, it's because of my aspirations, which are a little bit different than I think some of the other people on, on YouTube, no, no problem with this, who are doing it more as a hobby. And um, some YouTubers are able to do things that I can't do um, because I need to have a certain level of... Um, yeah, I, there's just certain restrictions that I, that I have. Um, okay. What would Medvedev need to do to beat Roger? He would need to serve really hard to the backhand. Um, first of all, you know, he, he can test that return. And then he needs to be able to handle those block returns that Roger is going to give him. He's going to try to blunt all of the pace on Medvedev's serve. He's going to try to blunt that pace. And Medvedev needs to find a good balance um, of not getting overzealous on that first ball and making errors. But also, you know, trying to take control of the rally. That's going to be the key for him on serve. On return, that's the concerning part for Medvedev. Can he, will he have an answer for Federer's wide serve on the deuce side with the slice, on the ad side with the kick? Federer is going to open up the court and he is going to come into net. It's not necessarily going to be serve volley. It might be serve, hit into the open court and come in behind that. And I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see what Medvedev tries to do there. So far in this tournament against Marin Cilic, against Hubert Hurkacz, Medvedev's plan is defend, you know, dig it out, um, make the pass difficult. And that is going to be a lot harder against Federer. So I think that Medvedev is going to be challenged at least on the second serve return to move up his return position. And I don't know if he's going to do it or not, but I will say this. If if Medvedev can take care of his return and can get into neutral spots... I think the way Novak has bothered Federer with his consistent trading uh with his consistent deep trading, I think this in the same way Medvedev can can really bother Federer um, by keeping the ball deep in the court, keeping Roger at bay, lengthening the rallies and getting to Federer's legs. That is how I believe Medvedev can um can hurt Roger Federer. If they play and Daniil needs to get through Hubert Herkach, he has two sets to one up. He is on serve. I am going to leave it at that, guys. Um, again, very fun live chat. I appreciate everyone who has joined me. Um, again, for everyone wishing me the best and hoping that that um, that the YouTube stuff isn't going to change, do not worry. I will not forget where I came from that is YouTube. That is with you guys uh, uh, delivering content like this. Um, again, I I owe I owe a lot to everyone who's watched me over the years, and even if if you're someone new watching me, I owe a lot to you. So, ending it on that note, on the final manic Monday, on the final manic Monday in the history of Wimbledon, and the first live Monday match analysis. Remember, I'm available on all podcast platforms. Um, follow me on Twitter at Gil underscore gross. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.